0: Welcome to Powered On, a brand new podcast brought to you by Electrical Review. I'm one of your hosts, Jordan O'Brien, a contributing editor for Electrical Review, and I'm joined by Claire Fletcher. Claire?
1: Hello, I am here. If you don't already know who I am, I am the ever cynical editor of Electrical Review and Data Centre Review as it happens, with Jordan being the far more optimistic of the two of us. Um, I attribute this to the fact he has youth on his side and hasn't yet been battered by life like a fish. But if you didn't catch the trailer, Powered On will be brought to you on a bi-weekly basis, where we'll be covering the latest topics in the electrical industry. This will involve debates, discussion, probably quickly descending into tangents and rants nobody asked for.
0: And that brings us to today's episode, where we'll be covering one of the most important topics in the industry, and that is net zero. More specifically, we'll be covering how the UK's power grid is going to get ready for net zero. We're calling this episode New Grids on the Block. It's very punny, isn't it, Claire?
1: It is. We, we do love a pun. I, it, pretty much every episode's going to be a pun. So if you're not a pun fan, then this, this isn't the place for you. <laughs> but there is some
0: excitement in this episode, isn't there, Claire? We're going to be talking about National Grid versus Off Gem. That sounds very exciting.
1: It does. Always a, well, it sounds a bit like a fight when really that's not quite the case, is it? But before we delve into that, we're going to begin every episode with a little segment we like to call believe it or what and you know we we said we love a pun and what will be spelt in the electrical sense is <laughs> in W A T T um so Bit you of a bit of wattage but believe it or what will basically just be um, a chance for us to share a little fact or uh yes yeah, statistic a tit-bit. that yes a tit bit a nugget of information so today obviously i will be i will be doing our believe it or what um on jordan and since we are discussing the grid today um i thought it would be appropriate to have a grid related believe it or what um so jordan when do you think the first grid here in the uk was established i mean bearing in wa- in mind um by the 1930s, only two thirds of us actually had electricity. So, with that in mind, when did we have our first grid?
0: Well, Claire, it really does depend on what you class as a grid, because many of our viewers probably will. Well, I say viewers, I mean listeners. Uh, many of our listeners, no one, readers. No one watching us. Um, we did
1: do a video interview series, though, so we, we do did, have yes. viewers. Anyway, uh, sorry. Back to point. <laughs> but
0: many of the people listening here will probably have um, arguments for what constitutes a grid and when our first grid is because you could look into Birmingham um, they had a pneumatically powered grid where they had three steam engines literally powering the city in 1889 Um, and those steam engines would power everything from clocks to lights Um, one of the interesting things where they had um, where it would send a puff of air every one minute to uh, change the minute hand on the clock which is really fascinating but Obviously this is what we're talking about by tangents. Um obviously what no, are you talking like... about when it comes to grit?
1: I mean, I was speaking about the, you know, the electrical kind that covers the entire country. But I mean, surely with this sub steam thing, like, wouldn't living anywhere near that not just be noisy as hell? It's just generally awful because, like, in like the eighteen like eighteen eighty nine, no wonder people only lived till about forty if they were sleep deprived from a puff of air coming up every time the clock ticked. Jesus Christ.
0: Weirdly enough, obviously, um, we had uh, a different grid before then because we obviously had the gas well i don't actually know when the gas grid began but a lots of people had gas lighting um prior to electrical lighting so well they did i, well, well, I, I would think steam is safer than gas
1: <laughs> you'd think wouldn't you really <laughs> we we may not know when the gas grid was created but i can tell you when the electrical grid was created but in order to do this i am going to need to give everybody a quick history lesson. So, here it goes. So, at the end of the 19th century, Nikola Tesla, of whom Jordan is possibly the biggest fanboy, um, established the principles of three-phase high-voltage electrical power distribution, and this was while he was working for Westinghouse Electric Corporation in the United States. But we're not talking about the United States, we're talking about the UK grid. So, the first to use this system in the UK was Charles Mers of the Myers and McClellan Consulting Partnership, and his Neptune Bank Power Station, and that was near Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which happens to be my hometown. So big up the town. (laughs) And I was actually speaking to my dad about this the other day, and he reckons Mosley Street, so one of the main streets in Newcastle, um, in 1879 was actually the first street in the world to be lit by electricity. And um, by 1889, the city had the world's first proper power station. So basically, modern electrical power supply was invented in Newcastle. So no biggie there. Um but anyway after Newcastle, you know, saved the world with um modern electrical power, this opened up in 1901 and by 1912 had developed into the largest integrated power system in Europe. But um, the rest of the country was still lagging behind a bit and, you know, was using this um little patchwork of small supply networks, which in Newcastle speak was knee good. Therefore, and here's the answer to our question <sighs> we've all been waiting for, it was in fact in 1926... That the Central Electricity Board was born, which was uh, which set up the UK's first synchronized nationwide AC grid. But I mean, despite this happening in 1926, the national grid we know today wasn't actually born until 1935, and the transmission activities of the Central Electricity Board weren't actually transferred to the National Grid until 1990, which was the year I was born, which makes uh, me feel really old. And I'm
0: assuming that's when National Grid PLC was formed, the private. Yes enterprise that we now know today who owns and operates both our electricity and gas network funnily enough um not a lot of people associate natural grid with gas but it is more than just electricity
1: um, I do, but i just love that how in 1889 um birmingham had steam puffs powering their clocks <laughs> and newcastle had you know we had a power supply you know just that that sort of um Juxtaposition is pretty crazy. It's sort of
0: like the competition between Blu-ray and HD DVD, but instead, it's about how you're going to power your house. Are you going to power your house through electricity or through steam? Um, <laughs> there's actually an interesting ride that um, this is one of these tangents. Uh, this there's an interesting <laughs> ride at Disney World called uh, Circle of Progress, and it goes through like the different uh, decades to show how technology has changed and they do the switch over from gas lighting to candles well obviously the other way around and then they go to electricity lighting but electricity used to look very different to how we deal with it today like yes we all have integrated wiring and like our lights are wired through the walls but back then a lot of houses had exterior wiring so you would literally have a wire come Straight through your house into the light rather than being hidden behind walls.
1: Oh, I could not deal with that. I couldn't live with that. That would be absolutely horrible.
0: I complain at trunking, let alone (laughs) a wire just going throughout the house.
1: No, I am mental. If anyone's coming around, even if they're not, they, I'm like, there can be no signs of life in this house. <laughs> so yeah, everything has to be out of sight. So absolutely no trailing wires. That's health and safety as well. <laughs> health and safety has right there.
0: But the ride goes through the different decades about how we, we're changing our um, technology use. And we're actually have going through another massive change um, because we are approaching, well, we are aiming for something called net zero we hear about it all the time don't we claire
1: yes we do but i mean for anyone here for for the uninitiated would you like to quickly explain just what net zero is just for those who do not know
0: um i'm hoping that all our listeners do know (laughs) they are professionals (laughs) at the end of the day but um in case you don't net zero is where no more carbon is added to the atmosphere than taking away so if i have a polluting car i could remove carbon from the atmosphere by literally just planting a few trees probably more than a few but that's sort of where we have this balance where there's carbon being emitted and there is carbon being taken away and they cancel each other out basically that's net zero
1: because at the minute i'm assuming we're pretty out of whack here in the uk with how much we're putting out there we produce
0: uh... far more carbon than we're taking away from the atmosphere um in fact we as a country, have become the first in the world to set a legally binding net zero target, where we have said that we will produce no more carbon than we're putting in, than we're taking away from the atmosphere by 2050, and that is a legally binding target. Not not sure who the government's going to sue if they get it wrong. Um, I'm guessing. I'm guessing we Possibly. can sue them. I, I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
1: I mean, we maybe have been the first to legally set the target, but we're, we're not necessarily going to be the ones to achieve oh, it no. first, uh, are well, we?
0: No, no because Bhutan <laughs> and Suriname are already net zero. You have actually... I I know we've spoken about this before. You have some interesting facts about why Bhutan might be net zero and it's not just because of the forest, is it?
1: No, it's not. I mean Bhutan is obviously it's very, very foresty. It's it's located somewhere in the eastern Himalayas as far as I'm aware. It's somewhere between India and China and it's 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 very somewhere. it's very foresty. So um that's obviously gonna be doing, you know, contributing a lot as, you know, plants, you know, they like to <laughs> eat carbon and they give do. us oxygen. They're they're very friendly like that. Um and all we do is cut them down but I'm um, not in Bhutan and um, so the apart from the forests and um, I did some research into Bhutan like uh, ahead of this podcast and mm. I, I literally I want to live there <laughs> like there is no western influence whatsoever and up until about 40 years ago which is really recent Bhutan didn't actually participate in the world like at all it's basically me in like country form if possible like there were literally fewer than 20 cars and um, the United United, I think I don't, I don't. I think that's still the case now, actually. And um, the United Nations hadn't recognised it as a country. And um, it's never been invaded. It's never been colonised. Um, it didn't even participate in World War Two. It just fancied sitting that one out. Um, and this has largely continued to be the theme up until now. So, like, if you went there, there would be no McDonald's. You wouldn't see a Starbucks. There'd be no giant supermarkets. No Western architecture at all. Like, no advertising. Imagine yeah. a world with no advertising.
0: It'd be depressing
1: what I'm, not, I'm like staring off like like daydream about a world without adverts and you're you're like you you, you want these things in your life but um it's bhutan isn't just net zero though is it jordan it's gone further it's, than that
0: no claire it's not only net zero it's actually carbon negative which is another term that some people may not actually know but it's basically going further than net zero so rather than taking the same amount of uh, carbon out of the atmosphere as you're putting in, you're actually taking out more carbon from the atmosphere than, well, you're putting in. Um, So they're they're minus
1: carbon, basically. Yes, carbon
0: negative. There is actually one company who has agreed to go even further than just purely carbon negative, which is Microsoft. Um, They have agreed to remove more carbon from the atmosphere than they have ever put into the atmosphere so since they began as a company they want to remove every single piece of carbon they've ever emitted which is going to be a lot for a company like Microsoft they run data centers
1: it's pretty impressive but if anyone's going to be able to do it it's going to be Microsoft surely
0: Yeah, I would imagine they're really big.
1: I think Google are doing something similar at the minute. Um,
0: Every every tech company seems to be really eager to be net zero at the moment. And a lot of them are trying to go further than net zero. Um, Well,
1: all the big ones have have done really well, to be honest. Because, I mean, Google first achieved um, carbon neutrality in about 2007, I think. And um, since 2017, it's purchased enough... Renewables, well, solar and wind energy, primarily to match a hundred percent of our global electricity consumption. So that's yeah, pr- electricity that, consumption. That, that that is that's pretty pretty amazing. But um. Uh, But now it's kind of, um, it's got a new sustainability goal. It's going to be running its business on carbon-free energy 24-7 everywhere by 2030. So it's not just Microsoft, it's all these big tech companies are really sort of getting behind this um, sustainability push. And I mean, I think that's amazing because it's the big players that need to lead the way at the end of the day.
0: Yeah, and I think the reason a lot of places are getting behind the sustainability push is because we're... we're in a climate crisis, as um, some people would refer to it. But when you look at Bhutan, there's a reason that they're running at carbon negative, And that's because their national grid is nothing like our national grid. In the UK, pretty much every house in this country is connected to a central grid.
1: In exactly. Bhutan, it's- they're not. It's the whole way of life, really, because, I mean, if you actually think about what it's going to take for us in the UK to, get, or even anywhere, any Western culture to get to net zero, it's going to take this huge shift in the way we mm-hmm. live our lives. So we are going to have to change the way we drive our cars, heat our homes, generate electricity. Um, and we're also going to need like great sort of planning and management of the energy system um, to boot so we can actually maintain a secure energy supply. Because um, if we haven't got somebody like overseeing all this properly, then we're going to get, well, first of all, we're going to have some major problems. And secondly, when we are going to have no chance of um, meeting this net zero target. But I mean, it's obviously going to be, someone is going to have to take charge of this. And at the minute, the company in charge of all of our power and of all, all such things is, of course, National Grid. Um, but National Grid is a little bit of a comp, complex beast isn't it Jordan? I mean when I was looking into this and um, it confused me a little bit so before we continue um would you be able to give us a little bit of a crash course in National Grid and it's two parts and how that's going to work?
0: Well technically National Grid has more than two parts but there's only two parts that we really need to know about because obviously it does deals with gas it has interconnectors with the continent that there's so much complication um, I think out of the six interconnectors with uh, Europe Uh, which is bringing power into the UK from our mainland friends. National Grid owns four of them. But if we keep it real simple, when it comes to the electrical distribution system, National Grid are two different things. They are the people who own the transmission network. They own the pylons that you see running through the country uh, so to... all
1: that overhead wiring all the substations all of that stuff that's that's national grid right not all
0: the substations some of the substations are owned by your
1: um oh yeah local electricity DNO, yeah like...
0: distribution network operator so someone like northern power grid up there or yeah. uk power networks down here um but then the other half of national grid is not the part that owns the transmission grid it's the part that o- uh, It's the part that operates it. Yeah. yeah. And that part is the part we're mostly going to be talking about today. Uh, It's referred to as ESO, Electrical System Operator. I believe that's the the abbreviation.
1: It is, yes, you've got it correct.
0: And this is where, like, we could learn some lessons from Bhutan in the fact that they are off-grid in some areas of that country where... It's hard for a company like National Grid to basically advocate for that sort of way of living when they own the transmission network, because the less we're transmitting through the network, the less they earn as a company. So this is, this is what the main discussion of today's podcast is going to be. It's going to be about should National Grid PLC continue to operate the electricity grid that we know and maybe love today?
1: Yes, well that that is the question. I mean Offgem certainly think not. I mean I did ac- actually ask um Offgem wh- why this why they want this. Um so ba- in summary, I mean we did mention this briefly at the start, but Offgem um is recommending an independent body. Um so they don't don't want National Grid to be operating um the grid anymore. They want a completely separate company to basically take charge of, um, Britain's green transformation, you know, our path to net zero. Um, they, well, really, really, it's just further progression of what already exists. But, um, we just, the initial aim for independence, uh, they wanted to sort of manage conflicts of interest between the national grid's ownership of the transmission networks and expanding the, um, ESO functions, basically. So, I mean, I did ask them um, what these conflicts conflicts of interest were and um, they they couldn't actually tell me. So I don't know, Jordan, if you've got any sort of thoughts on this.
0: Well, if you read their reports, they do go into some of the conflicts that there may be. So they interviewed someone about what the potential bias by National Grid, PLC, owning and operating the network. And basically, a lot of people assume that there's bias there in the fact that there'll be decreased competition in transmission by the fact that behind the meter assets are going to be mainly run by national grid and they're going to choose national grid over another company for instance and the other major thing is when it comes to making recommendations to central government as to what we should as a nation see our energy mix-up turn to so say we want to be more like Bhutan where we have off-grid assets Mm -hmm. where local communities are run by local energy grids so say here down in Kent I live in a garden village um, that could all be powered by its own solar farm or its own wind farm that won't be using the national grid that will just be Will be self-sustainable.
1: Well, that would be a lovely utopian world, wouldn't it? Because I mean, I live um obviously up up north. I live in Whitley Bay. I live right next to the sea. So technically, we could sort of try and utilise hydropower, couldn't exactly. we? But we're we're not because obviously, renewable. The problem with renewables is. You know, it, it, yeah, they are intermittent. So, you know, if the sun isn't shining, you know, the wind's not blowing, then what do we do? We just we don't have the energy storage for it, do we, unfortunately, which is why we kind of need this grid. Uh,
0: yeah, that is the advantage of the national grid in terms of you would be able to transmit energy throughout the country. So if one part of the country is lower than the other, you you can bring that energy in. But no one's saying we should completely get rid of the national grid. It's just that we should change our energy mix up so that we can move to net zero in a more cost-effective, and yeah, and just a more proactive
1: way. proactive yeah. way as well. Like someone needs to actually be giving this some thought. It can't just be sort of like a, a thing on the side. It needs to. It needs. Some, I mean, this. I think this. Um, Twenty fifty date is pretty ambitious. I mean, Sweden have obviously swept in and set their net zero target at um, for 2045, 5 years earlier, but you know, let's let's just um f- forget that for a second. But, but I mean, going back to the point, at first I thought this was like, well, I wrongly thought this was a case of kind of Offgem versus the national grid, um. And I asked Offgem, and um, this is a question they actually did they they did um they did answer for me. Um I asked them, why are you guys of the opinion that National Grid isn't up to task um, when it's been responsible for, for our power for decades? I mean, it's never done anything wrong to me. It's always kept kept my power on, kept the lights on. And their response was generally, like, pretty nice. Um, they, they, they basically said that it's not that the National Grid isn't up to task. It's just that they think a new body at the centre of managing the system needs to have new responsibilities. So this new independent thing will offer truly independent inverted commas recommendations to the government and off gem on how best to hit net zero and like i said before take a more active role in in the designing and planning of our grid infrastructure because that's a huge part of it um and yeah and as jordan mentioned the balancing of the supply and demand across um local and national electricity networks and um, because that could um well they basically said this is a lot of this is to benefit the customer so this um you know the more proactive role could include creating new opportunities to sort of give customers rewards and um, save them money and sort of help them then um, be flexible in the way they use their energy and the more i read into this i mean offgem have been pretty nice about um, national grid like all through the media albeit a bit vague and um, it basically just said historically and um, there's never been anything wrong with the national grid I mean you know despite that little hiccup in 2019 I mean mistakes are going to happen sometimes but it basically said um national grid is what's made Great Britain's energy system one of the most reliable in the world like it's made it what it is today but unfortunately what it is today isn't what we need it to be for tomorrow so basically the national grid was great when it was great and now it's just you know it's it's lagging behind and it needs a push and obviously offgem think that an independent body is the one ready you know the one that's going to be able to do that
0: and that's the thing no one thinks that national grid plc couldn't achieve net zero it's just that the task of the energy system operator is changing drastically they want them to take on new responsibilities and be free of commercial interest so mm. they want them to plan basically what the future of the uk's energy mix-up is going to be but what the future of the national grid's going to be and it's hard to have a company who has a vested interest in there being more transmission in the uk to then come out and say oh do you know what we think we should have more localized grids we should encourage people to have solar panels on their house and not actually need to be connected to the national grid it's hard for the company that owns the national grid to be able to say that um and and this is one of the things that was highlighted in the report they interviewed someone And they this person basically said that they don't believe that National Grid will ever come up with a plan for this country that won't include nuclear. And the reason being is because nuclear power stations have to use the transmission network.
1: I see. You love a bit of nuclear, though, don't you, Jordan? I'm (laughs) a big
0: fan of nuclear. It's clean. Uh, But I'm, I'm not going to argue that it's not expensive. Nuclear is very expensive. But I also see the benefit of having more local renewable networks. I would love solar solar panels on my house, I would love energy storage on my house. That should be what the National Grid should be recommending to central government, is to encourage consumers themselves to produce their power, to store their power, to not only help the grid, but also help themselves. If we're more self-sustainable, then we will be net zero a lot easier than if we're having to centralize everything and i i know obviously building a power station like a nuclear power station is going to be exciting it's going to create jobs but we could also have this green revolution by creating jobs of those installing solar panels or wind farms uh, absolutely more I mean, local.
1: it's almost like national grid just just can't quite let go of its old ways. That It's almost like it's sort of stuck in this little, sort of the way it's done things before, and that's sort of where it's it's going to stay. And it, obviously it, it doesn't really have a huge, I mean, it obviously has an interest in operating the grid, but the National Grid makes a hell of a lot more money um, owning the grid than operating it. Is is that right? Absolutely. That right? They make barely... Nice
0: anything when it comes to the ESO functions. It's a very small part of their business. So for um, National
1: Grid to give that away to an independent body really isn't going to be much skin off their nose, is it? Well, as, it, as, a, as a business.
0: It'll actually benefit them because, remember, that they won't just be giving it away. They will they will sell it for a price. Um, exactly. So yes, the government... It's probably can, quite
1: a nice price as well, you would imagine.
0: Exactly. The government will have to compensate National Grid for taking away one of its major business areas. But the thing is, no one thinks that the National Grid are biased, there's no evidence of bias, but there's just this perception that there could be bias, and that's what Ofgem really wants to get away from. They want to assure consumers that they are working in their best interest, that National Grid isn't just trying to line its own pockets, that it's actually trying to commit to net zero in the cheapest way possible. And that, and and this is something that you asked off Jim about is how because they've come up with this crazy figure about how much they're going to save consumers Uh, I can't remember what it was Um,
1: oh yes so yeah they said I believe it was they claimed they would be able to save them so basically they claimed like having an independent body um, operating our electrical system could save us bill payers a Uh, approximately 4.8 billion between 2022 and 2050 i mean and i asked them that question i only asked them three and they, they they chose to ignore um that that particular question um because i'm i'm I can sort of see, like, guess ways that they might be able to save bill payers some money, but hmm. 4.8 billion just seemed really large and really specific to for them not to have had a response to that. I mean, could you, do you have, like, what would your guess be? How Like, how they're going to save us all collectively this huge amount of money? Well,
0: <laughs> one way, is if we didn't build nuclear power stations, obviously, it would be significantly cheaper. But I'm not sure what went into, uh, it wasn't uh sums, they commissioned... Um, an analyst or a company to um, basically come up with that figure. It's not like something that's been plucked out of gem's uh, head, but they only know the methodology that went into coming up with that figure. But I can see how a more integrated, high-level national grid operator could potentially...
1: Do you think maybe that would just be the efficiency, like possibly like making the grid smarter? Like if someone does literally redesign, you know, earlier I mentioned we need to sort of completely like redesign our infrastructure. Like maybe if our infrastructure is more efficient, that's where these savings are going to come from. But that does not change the fact that 4.8 billion is a very odd figure in my view. But um, yeah, because
0: obviously if National Grid ESO needs like to come up with a plan for the future grid that doesn't include transmission, that could potentially save consumers' money, if that is the more cost-effective route. Mm. But it would cost National Grid PLC money. So right now, they wouldn't want to do that. So if they increased local generation that wasn't connected to the National Grid, that wouldn't be a recommendation I could imagine ESO coming up with. Whereas ESO does come up with recommendations such as let's have a power station. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but we should be encouraging consumers to have energy storage. We should be building out more energy storage in this country because then we can have a smarter grid. We can use renewables to store energy in, in battery banks, large battery banks, and then either distribute that locally or distribute mm. that across the country. Uh, and that's the thing. Do national grid as a transmission network still have a place in the in a world where we may not necessarily need to nationally distribute electricity we could do it all locally if because everyone gets the sun mm-hmm. um, obviously those in scotland get the sun less than those and the, down here and
1: those in newcastle get the sun never <laughs> let's not forget
0: But then you've got uh, the situation where you could have wind. So in a place where you don't necessarily get the sun, you could get the wind and we could have plenty of that. You do. (laughs) Uh, I live on the river. I also have plenty of that. Um, But you could have battery banks that are storing energy. So that's when the local demand for wind or for energy is highest, but the wind isn't blowing. Those battery banks can help tie us over until the, the wind is back. And obviously there is a situation where you probably still would want a little bit of the national grid in there as, as sort of a redundancy rather than maybe the national grid just...
1: Just kind of back up more peace of yeah. mind rather than, yeah, just... It what... being
0: the primary source of electricity, which is what it is now. Everyone is connected. To, well, not everyone, but most people are reliant on the national grid to give them power, whereas they could be more self-reliant and generate their own power or have power that is generated locally
1: i mean maybe we should be the the independent body we're coming (laughs) up with loads of ideas but i mean we can muse about um how how we're going to sort of make the, the grid more efficient, save us all money and things. But obviously, the one to do this is going to be this, um, you know, this holy grail of this independent body. So, OffGem have obviously, they had to sort of come up with some ideas about what they were actually going to do. Um, so far, they've declined to express a preference, but they have, um, put out into the world four options for how we can, um, make this independent grid Become a reality. So, um, option number one, we have got um, set up a private company with limited government involvement or accountability. So, that would be truly independent. Um, A private company where the government has a so called golden share, which lets it veto changes um, when it would like. not so sure about that one, but uh, moving on to option three, um, an independent not-for-profit company, or last but not least, an organisation owned by us, the public. So something a bit like Network Rail. I mean, all of the suggestions would be an improvement on, on the current way of running things. Um, but obviously, it's up to the government to decide which it's going to prefer. I mean, Jordan, what? Where? Why would you? You know, which one do you think would be best for the country? You know. If if you had two hats on, the sort of your hat and the off gem hat, which one would you lean towards?
0: So, if off gem cannot get over the fact that National Grid has this potential bias, then you're going to have to have either further legal separation because obviously uh, National Grid and National Grid ESO are legally separate companies. We have to just reiterate that but you would need a fully independent organization. And how that turns out, because you could have a fully independent organization with the golden share as a private organization, a for-profit mm-hmm. organization, or you could have a non-profit organization that is run by the government. And, and that's the thing that I am not entirely sure on where we're going to end up. I'm, I'm, there are benefits and there are negatives to all of them. The golden share option gives the government less control I would say. Um, They have control to veto things but they don't have day-to-day running and that works really well for NATS which deals with our airspace. Yes. Um, And I would say something as critical as our airspace would be replicated in something as critical as our national grid so that could be one really good example of where we end up Whether or not it will be for-profit will be interesting because obviously National Grid PLC at the moment is a for-profit organization.
1: Yeah Um, so that remains to be seen. I mean obviously we'll be following this um, as it develops so stay tuned to find out what happens but.
0: Yeah at the moment globally there are very few for-profit independent system operators. I think the only ones that are fully independent so this is where it's a public limited company so it's not the government, but the government Mm. has a golden share, would be an example in Belgium uh, with Fluxus. That is a for-profit company that deals with their gas network rather than their electricity network. But this is what they mean. Like, there are very few private for-profit ISO. There's also, um, in Ireland, there's Aerogrid, which is the Irish state-owned company, but uh, they operate the Northern Irish network as well. Um, so there's there are some interesting comparisons globally as to where we could go where we will end up is is still very much up for debate i know um no one's actually made a decision yet like the government hasn't made a decision on whether or not they even want to further separate national grid eso from national grid plc and i know that Ofgem hasn't fully got a recommendation but they don't want to continue with the status quo uh, no,
1: they don't. I mean, I've got actually got a quote from our um, business and energy secretary, and he's basically he is fully behind this um, off gem decision, and um, and he's obviously he's he's as our business and energy secretary, he's very um, much patting us on the <laughs> back, and. Um, direct quote as the first major economy to commit in law to net zero carbon emissions by 2050 the UK is leading the green industrial revolution of course we are Mm -hmm. meeting our far-reaching targets will mean changes in how so like we said changes in how we turn the lights on travel to work and even cook our meals which is why we must ensure that the energy system is designed to provide the very best for our consumers and allows energy companies to keep innovating as we build back greener and he basically just says he welcomes Offgem's contribution to the debate over the future structure of our energy and will consider its recommendations thoroughly so we've got the energy secretary it's he's obviously got like some sort of huge sway over this as well because he 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 said he was gonna he's going to be considering this thoroughly the government are going to be considering this thoroughly Off gem are going to be considering it thoroughly i mean we we even um Asked um, the people, didn't we, Jordan? We asked our um, listeners, readers, viewers, all of them. Um, our what social the- media, our followers. social media followers, to be precise. Yes, that's so- at
0: Elect Review Mag on Twitter.
1: Yes, over on Twitter. If you don't follow us already, why not? But um, we. Um in poll form, um, we asked you guys, um, do you think an independent grid is necessary in achieving our net zero by 2050 target? And um, I would um, ask Jordan to guess, but I know he's Nobody already looked. So Jordan, can could you you can reveal the figure. What was the split? Um, for, and also thank you to everyone that cast their vote. You, you help with our information gathering.
0: Well, funnily enough, 100% of people believed that uh, National Grid ESO should be further separated from from the National Grid at PLC, they believe that it should be an independent system operator that brings us into net zero, which was quite interesting to see a one hundred percent. I know
1: I was a bit shocked by the one hundred percent split as well because at first I was like, kind of like, do we even need an independent grid? Like, what's wrong with what we've got at the minute? But um, clearly, is evidently, there's a, a lot right well not particularly anything wrong with what we've got but there's not anything right with it either at the minute that's the the, problem
0: (laughs) and that's the thing like if we maintain the status quo there's nothing wrong we will still achieve net zero in the grid because that is national grid's own goal Mm -hmm. but Uh, this is a big but yes the government
1: big (laughs) but i can't even like i can't control myself sorry please continue
0: (laughs) The government wants National Grid ESO or ESO. Let's just call them ESO because if it's not National Grid, it's it's an independent system operator, also known as ISO. Right. Um, but they want ESO to play a central role in the energy system's move to net zero and act in the consumer's interest. And they believe that if the status quo is maintained, then they will not be able to do that because they will not be able to have the unbiased planning control that the government wants to give them. They want mm-hmm. ESO to have complete control over recommendations to the government on, you know, what the future of the UK's energy mix up is going to be. They want to know where our grid is going. And they don't Naturally, believe yeah. that they don't believe that with the commercial interests in the mind of National Grid's leadership, they don't believe that they can have that role in telling the government what to do. Because there is that perceived bias and and I think a lot of people are worried that that they won't have that industry leadership, like the, the industry won't be behind them because they'll be like, well, you're just trying to line National Grid PLC's pockets, like you're not actually trying to benefit us as an industry, you're not trying to benefit consumers, you're just trying to benefit yourselves. And no, no one has yet come out and said that.
1: But yeah because um, this bias is all like proverbial isn't it it's, it's, it's not it's a perceived it, 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 bias it, it's imaginary bias yeah it's a perceived <laughs> bias
0: people in the industry have a perceived bias without actually having any evidence of actual bias and the thing is we're like we we see statements from national grid plc about how they feel about potentially losing eso and i would sum up their reaction as meh they don't uh, they don't n- really non-chirped. care yeah they they don't <laughs> care at all like obviously um, they, they like uh, having ESO but they're, they're not bothered that they say they continue to work it's always some boilerplate statement where it's, we continue to work with the government to discuss the future op- um, operation of the natural grid or whatever kind of stuff that they say but it, it's never like a full-on commitment like yeah we love natural grid ESO it's never <laughs> it's never anything like that I, I, I think that they don't really care
1: I mean, at the minute, I just don't really trust the government to see anything through. I mean, with uh, this is another bit of a tangent, but they've just scrapped the, the Green Homes grant. Uh, I mean, like that was that was something that was meant to be, you know, a, a, a huge step in our green, green evolution or green revolution, whatever they want to call it, whatever bloody buzzed t- word it is. And they, they took that away. And they, uh, yeah, they, they crept
0: out the announcement as well on a Saturday night. I'm, exactly.
1: I'm, we saw it, though. We see you uh, scrapping things, government. And so the
0: thing is, that announcement wasn't even like, "Hey guys, we're scrapping the Green Homes Grant." It was, "Hey guys, there's a new scheme where we're going to encourage local councils to help you with green upgrades." Oh, by the way, we're scrapping the Green Homes Grant at the same time.
1: They, they just <laughs> whispered it. Like, well, "Excuse <laughs> you," because at first they, they they you know the Green Homes Grant they they were shouting from the rooftops about mm. it. Then they really quietly just got rid of lighting from it, which was one of the the huge. Beneficiaries of this scheme. Yeah, so uh, people
0: were like planning their green home upgrades. They're like, I'm going to get new doors, I'm going
1: to get new lights, I'm going to get new New this, new that. Like, yeah, companies were planning, like, because companies were going to get these vouchers as well, weren't they? And then all this hope is just gone. So any planning is, is just, this is why I think even if they do choose from one of these four options, Are they going to stick to it? Like, if it's if it's a anything to do with the government, I'm like, can you really stick, see something through to the end and be and make it a success? Because at the minute, I mean, COVID's gone swimmingly, Uh, Brexit's going well so far. I mean, at the minute, like, not to get too political, but my faith is somewhat smashed into the dirt. Let's just say.
0: At least we should all be vaccinated soon but that's true yeah Claire, are you saying you would prefer if they did it they did a either golden share operation or have a completely private company where the government has no influence over
1: yes i'd rather the government just stayed out of it myself and like (sighs) so you wouldn't even
0: prefer the golden share option
1: no i wouldn't just just because i think just obviously there are environmental departments within government of course there are but we, we we need people coming in that that Know what they're talking about. That do not have the government's best interest at heart. Like we need some some organisation, whoever this is going to be, to have the consumers and our planet. Like I don't think we've mentioned the planet once. Like the word planet. Like <laughs> it, uh, that's the thing, though. Like th- that's what it's all about. But that's not where the the sort of story and the drama comes about. Like really, the the the, the crisis we're in is like this this climate situation. Yet we're busy sort of discussing like who's going to fix the world, almost, which is um, almost um, an afterthought, really, like what well, it should be. But um, yeah.
0: I think that one thing that you're going to have is and who, whether ends up being the system operator, whether or not that is continuing to be the legally separate natural greedy so, Or if it's a completely independent system operator, they will all have to work with central government because it's central government that has the overriding spending power and the decisions that they can make in terms of actually investing in our grid because it is a nationally vital
1: it is, it is infrastructure. It's, it's of national importance there's no no question about that at all and and,
0: and it, they will always have policy control no matter where we are so if they are directly linked to government or whether or not they're independent for a, via a uh, golden share, they will always have to answer the government at the end of the day. Like, this is why Offgem is having this discussion where they're saying, like, national grid SO may may cease to exist and it will be a different Operator.
1: I mean, well, so in summary, um, the, the people, well, our people, the reviewers think, think we need this independent grid. The energy secretary thinks we need it. Ofgem clearly thinks we need it. Um, national, grid, national grid don't care. D- don't care. So <laughs> maybe national grid aren't the, well, not anymore. Isn't the national treasure we first thought like it has been, but now it's kind of fallen from grace a little bit. And we need somebody else to sort of come in and sort of just a younger model to come in and. Yeah. Know, push things forward a little bit and spice things up so to speak
0: yeah i think it's back to what we've said several times which is it's time to rethink our national grid it's time to have a scenario where maybe there's no nuclear whether or not you agree with nuclear or not is is beside the point we should be looking at anything that could get us to net zero fastest and cheapest we shouldn't be spending billions and millions of pounds we don't need to spend. If we don't need to spend on a nuclear power station, then why are we having one? Like why are we building nuclear power stations if we could do this with all cleaner renewables? Because nuclear power stations still have a waste problem. I'm a proponent of nuclear power because they produce a heck ton of electricity for just one site. It's it's mm. you don't have to have thousands and thousands of uh, wind turbines to create the same energy uh, as a nuclear power station but they still have issues um, you have the perceived safety issues that people have mm-hmm. um, even though nuclear power stations are 100% safe let's let's get that well mostly safe uh, in terms of they're very very unlikely to have any incidents like uh, Fukushima or Chernobyl uh, we can name a few um, or
1: the Simpsons Springfield <laughs> three-eyed fish and such <laughs>
0: But the, you actually just brought up a very important point. Um, waste is still a problem we have um, with nuclear. Like, where do we store our nuclear waste? And uh, I was reading recently about how um, the UN requires, if you basically has a rule, if you produce it, you deal with it so if you produce nuclear waste you deal with it don't just dump it in another country um
1: but they do is it's the same with rubbish as well i know this is a tangent but like there are literally islands of rubbish like in thailand and vietnam because people just and it's probably the same with nuclear but we don't know where it is i mean nuclear
0: is it has to be stored in the uk legally like under international law it has to be stored in the uk but they keep changing Seven. their mind as to where because no one wants it no one's going hey course, yeah, store here. here. nuclear <laughs> uh, uh waste here so no one wants it so we we'll always have that problem no one will want nuclear waste and nuclear waste takes ages to actually just m- disintegrate gone. yeah um, so what we do need is to have these honest conversations where It's like, do we need nuclear? Like, what should we be doing to invest in our grid? Should we have a smarter grid where it's using vehicle-to-grid or all these technologies that people are talking about where... Because at the moment, I don't know if you read recently, um, there was an article on Electrical Review, which, um, plugging our own website, uh, Mm -hmm. which said that um, (laughs) uh, balancing costs uh, have have gotten more expensive um, and a lot of people have blamed that on Brexit mm-hmm. because we're talking about the the rates that we pay European producers of electricity yeah. to get it here. And, and yes, that has gone up. But balancing costs in general have gone up, and that's largely because we are switching to renewables and it's harder to balance a network where things are so intermittent.
1: I mean, I imagine Brexit is probably, out of these um, four decisions, is probably going to complicate things a little bit. I mean, I haven't even started to think about how or why yet. I mean, that's another conversation for another day. But I mean, I imagine like the, our relationship with Europe with regards to our power is... Is going to play a he- really key role in how we change our infrastructure and how we change the distribution and balancing of our electricity. And because we, we give them, um, we supply electricity back and forward to Europe, yeah, don't we? So we at the do. minute, so how long, how much longer that's going to go on for, I'm not so sure.
0: I imagine that will continue in, perpet- in perpetuity. Um, mm. purely because uh, they need to balance their needs for electricity while we need to balance ours. And basically the whole system works on cost. Uh, if we have a surplus of energy and we need to get rid of it, we'll sell it for cheap. Mm. Um, if Europe has <laughs> surplus energy and they need to um, get rid of it, they'll sell it for cheap. And then we will pay for that energy when we need it and they'll pay for that energy. Uh, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And I, I don't think, uh, even though the story was predominantly about brexit and maybe brexit has caused a slight increase in uh, cost mm-hmm. just because of the way that everything is done now like the auctions are run differently uh to how they used to be run and we're not using the single market mechanism that we used to use yeah. um but I, I don't think that you know it's going to be permanently more expensive i think that a lot of people... You think there might well, be
1: sort of a spike and then we'll level up yeah, level I, I, again.
0: I think, I think a lot of the problem is where countries are transitioning to renewables and those renewables being intermittent. They have more wild spikes between needing electricity and not needing electricity. Uh, like... We might have a surplus of wind on a really windy day, or the day we're recording this, it's actually really sunny.
1: Oh, it's really windy here, like <laughs> great. It's like, like literal twenty-five wind turbines. twenty-five mile per hour winds. Whereas
0: we're in. in the twenty degrees, uh, bright oh, sunshine, blue skies.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this is the thing, like as we install more renewable energy the less intermittent it's going to be especially if we install more energy storage and this is going to be really key to the future of the uk's uh grid basically we're, can... we're going to need more energy storage to store this intermittent power so we're not paying random like balancing costs just because it's not windy in newcastle for the the only day of the year
1: <laughs> you could say we need a new grid on the block jordan
0: exactly <laughs> We, we could absolutely say we need a new grid on the block.
1: I mean, on that note, I think we can probably, probably end it there, can't we?
0: Yeah, I think uh, we, we got through, we chewed quite a lot of the fat. I hope people found this first podcast informative. We will get better. Uh, if you didn't,
1: <laughs> yeah, we were. I mean, we have tried to record this before. We we have done better, but technical issues. You know, it's 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 just been a nightmare. Let's let's not lie. But I mean, yeah. If you are interested in seeing how this uh, National Grid off-gem situation plays out, we will of course be continuing to follow the story. So as I mentioned before, keep an eye out on our website, which is www.electricalreview.co.uk uk, and over on our Twitter page at electreviewmag for any updates. Um. If there are any topics you'd like us to discuss, um, opinions you'd like us to share, um, preferably related to the electrical industry, but if you just want to chat, we can <laughs> see what we can do. Um, so you can tweet us um, drop us a message via LinkedIn or email us um, at our dedicated email address for this podcast, which is hello at electricalreview.co.uk. I mean, hell, send a carrier pigeon if you want. It would make my cat's day. Also, another shameless plug, if you have not already subscribed to our... Uh, weekly editor's newsletter and um, this will be where we'll be announcing new episodes uh, so get that done where can people do that Jordan?
0: That is at electricalreview.co.uk slash newsletter and before we just wrap up I just want to say that it's been a pleasure Claire doing, oh, doing thank the podcast you, with you can't wait until the n- next
1: one which is in two weeks time am i right i believe so i mean you can find all the information we just word vomited at you in the show notes um with general twitter handles email subscription buttons all of that good stuff um but as always uh stay safe and we will see you again in yeah in a couple of weeks
0: bye guys right,
1: Bye.